0: Well, good morning again. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am bringing God's Word again this week. This uh, might actually be my first time to preach two weeks in a row, and then uh, next week will be my first time to preach three weeks in a row. (laughs) So uh, we will spend our time in Acts chapter 6 this morning, at least the majority of our time in Acts chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 1 in just a few minutes. And as Butch said, if you don't have a a Bible, we would love for you to take that Pew Bible right in front of you. You can use that today. We'll be on page 914 in the Pew Bible. But um, you can also take that home with you if you don't have a Bible. Use that. Read it. Get to know uh, who God is, that you might rightly respond to who he is. We would love it if you would take that and use it. And also, if you weren't here last week, um, just to kind of introduce what's going on while Pastor Steven's on sabbatical, we are going through a series, a topical series called Church Basics. And so it's a topical series, which if you're not sure, like what do you mean by that? Well, it's different than what we normally do, which is called exposition. We preach straight through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter is what we normally do. But for these six weeks, we're just going to, to look at what is the church and really dive into the New Testament. And so um, over the, the weeks, we'll jump around from passage to passage, even some days we'll jump around from passage to passage, which we will do a little bit today, considering um, multiple spots in the New Testament that we might understand um, our topic for today, and I should have said it last week also, but um, this series, uh, a lot of the information, its it's obviously we're trying to take it all from the Bible, but... Um, I've been greatly helped, and I trust Pastor Cody, when he preaches in a couple of weeks, would say he's been greatly helped, been helped by other pastors who have fought about this. And so um, we are trying to use the Bible, but then also the wisdom of others as well as we bring this to the church. And so let's pray now. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you be with us, that you would help me as I preach, that your truth from your word would be held high, that that's what we would cling to. Because you have given us your word that we might know you and that we might know how to rightly respond to you in our individual lives, but also that we would respond to you rightly, corporately as a church. And so we want to know what you have to say to us. So give us ears to hear your truth this morning. Give us hearts that are molded and shaped into the image of Christ and give us wills that want to obey what we know of you in your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we looked at what is the church and we saw that the church isn't a place. It's not this building, but the church is a people. And specifically, the church is the family of God. And he's our father, and he's given us brothers and sisters to live life with, do life with together, that we might image him forth to the world. And we do that by being brothers and sisters of faith family, as Butch has already said this morning, that listen to and obey the voice of our Heavenly Father. And so today we're going to turn our attention to who runs the church, right? And you might be able to answer that in a few different ways um, but who runs the church? And you might be thinking, well, actually, when I was preparing this, I was thinking, I know everybody is waking up eagerly today just to hear about church government, right? <laughs> church policy. You've always been waiting to hear a sermon on this. So here you go. You're welcome. It's today. All right. And so we will think about, as we think about church government, you also might hear it called church polity. That is how the, the church works together, governs itself and you might, um, you might not think about that much. Just like a timing belt for your car. You know it's there. You know it's important. You're thankful for it, that your car actually runs, that valves aren't bent, and that things work properly. But you probably don't give your timing belt a whole lot of attention most days when you're driving, unless you hit maybe 90,000 miles or 150,000 miles, and you're thinking, well, need to make sure I get that fixed or a or, or, or new one so that the car doesn't break down. I think it might be similar where a lot of times we're going week to week, day to day, doing life together with community group and, and, and living life on Sundays with our church. But we don't often think about church government. How are we structured? How do we operate? And so I think, at least I hope, this will be helpful for us today. And I just wanted to define a couple of terms that you may hear me use interchangeably. So elders, pastors, overseers. I'm going to use those three interchangeably today. Um, And so don't be confused if I say pastor, and then in the next sentence I say elder. I'm using them synonymously. I think they're referring to the same office, the same function in the church. And then also you will hear me uh, say the word deacon, maybe even deaconess. And I think those are referring to the same office and the same function in the church as well. And uh, so if you're a guest here with us, hopefully, even if you're considering joining this church, hopefully this is a helpful series for you. Just getting to know who is Hamilton Baptist Church. That nothing, you don't spend five years here and then you're surprised and say, I wish I knew this um, about the church before I started being a member here. And so hopefully this will be helpful for us the members of the church, and then anybody who may be considering joining Hamilton Baptist Church in the future. And we want to look at what does the Bible say. We want the Bible to govern how we live as a church. We want the Bible to direct what we do as a church. And where the Bible speaks, we want to obey. And where the Bible maybe does not, does not speak, we want to be uh, use, hold those things loosely or with an open hand. And so it's important for us to know what the Bible says about how the church works. Because if the Bible says nothing about how the church works and how these titles of elder and deacon and church, if the Bible says nothing about that, then we can just order the church however going to be best for us pragmatically. We could have a CEO type pastor where everything just flows down from him and everybody does exactly what he says. Or, if the Bible speaks clearly about some things on how the church runs, we want to be a church that falls in line with that. Because we believe that that's what God has said. And so because what he says is always right, always good, then it's for our good that we also are doing what he says. So with this in mind, uh, we're about to read Acts 6. And listen to, there's three different groups of people talked about here. There's... ...apostles who I think in, in this passage function very similar to an elder-like function. We're also going to see deacons and the congregation... ...which are in this passage called the full number of disciples or the whole gathering. So let's read Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... ...a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. So in this passage we see apostles who are functioning. What I think, along with the rest of the New Testament, is they're functioning in a very elder-like function in this passage we see deacons and we see the congregation so the first group of people I want us to consider today are are elders and just very shortly I think you can summarize the elder as a servant leader that is they're they're primarily leaders in the church but they don't rule with an iron fist they are servant leaders so then who are elders I'm not going to read it again. Butch read it from 1 Timothy chapter 3. He read the verses 1 through 7, which were these qualifications for biblically qualified men to be elders. So you can read those again later maybe. And you see these are men of good repute, not just in the church, but also outside the church. They shouldn't be living a double life. They should be godly men who are pursuing Christ. Men who manage their household well. Because... If they can't manage their small household, how can they help manage the household of God? So these must be godly men, biblically qualified men. And so what do these biblically qualified men do? You could say that that they provide spiritual oversight. They lead by providing spiritual oversight. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, "...pay careful attention to yourselves." And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, tells them you need to pay careful attention not just to yourselves, not just to how you're walking and following Christ, but to the entire flock, to all the flock. He says that you're to be overseers. In fact, you've not made yourself overseers, but which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And elders are supposed to be men who care for the church. And then even just heightens it even more, Paul says, which he, that is Christ, obtained with his own blood. So it's Christ's church, and elders are these under-shepherds who oversee the flock, who care for the flock. And then even more um, insight, I think that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 5, He says that shepherds should shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. So again, we uh, we get a better picture of what is an elder supposed to be? Right, we see the qualifications, we see that they're supposed to be overseers, people who who are caring for God's flock. You could describe them as a shepherd. And willing shepherds, not that they've been forced or not that they've been talked into it, but they should be willing and in fact even says eager. That they feel a calling to this. 1 Timothy uh, says it in verse 1 that there are men who aspire to this, who desire it. They love the church so much. That they willingly and eagerly want to shepherd God's people. To point them to God's people. And then even Peter speaks to their lives. That they ought to be examples to the flock. Not just men who speak well. Who who can teach well. But men whose lives picture Christ to the church. Picture Christ to the world. So it shouldn't be a shock like when. Somebody from outside the church hears, this guy's an elder at his church. They shouldn't be shocked. I would have never guessed that. It ought to be like, that makes complete sense to me. It makes sense that his character here in the office would be similar to what the church sees because he lives like Christ in this office. That they would know that this church would see, I can follow these elders so long as they're following Jesus. So how are they practicing this oversight? How are they leading the church? I think Acts 6 gives us very helpful direction. Primarily, the elders should be about praying and and, and teaching. They should be men whose lives are characterized by prayer. Because there's power when we go to the one who has all authority in heaven on earth, that we're seeking him. Right? God... God does mighty things through prayer. He heals people. He saves people. He spares us from sin. He changes lives. He gives us wisdom through prayer. And so the elders of a church, the elders of this church ought to be men of prayer. And so those of us who are current elders, those who are up being or are nominated for el- eldership coming up, we ought to be men of of prayer. We ought to be men taking this church to God on our knees. And so we can do this in private, we can do this in public. And, and even just one of the ways, uh, I, I hope that you don't see this as boasting, but I, I, I do want to share, I think sometimes it's an encouragement to hear how others are living and, and striving after um, uh, even just a life of prayer. So um, most days of the week, right before lunch, I actually have an alarm set on my phone that goes off. And, and, and sometimes it's really annoying. It's like, yeah, I know that's coming up because it happens every day. But it's an alarm that reminds me to read one prayer from the Valley of Vision. And the intent is that it would, it would reorient my heart and my life Back to God, even when I'm answering emails for the church, or even when I'm reading or doing things for this church. I want my heart to be reoriented back to God. It's not just something I'm checking off a list. I'm not doing this just because I get a paycheck from this church. I want to be a man, an elder, a pastor who's doing everything with God in view. And so as I do that, I not only pray for myself, but then... I open up the church directory, and and so tomorrow is the 19th day of the month. And so then in the church directory, I'll just open up to the 19th page in that directory, and I'll pray for everybody on that page according to the same way that I prayed for myself and according to that prayer in the Valley of Vision. And that's just a really regular way I can pray for you, Hamilton Baptist Church, to lift you up because I truly believe God works through prayer. But then it's not just me. I trust our elders do similar things. And we, in fact, um, it's more private, but not as private as personal prayer. But when we meet as elders every three weeks, a large part of our meeting is devoted to praying for this church. We open every meeting looking at the word. What's the word that's going to be preached this upcoming Sunday? We dive into the word and then we pray for this church according to that. And then we read books, we discuss chapters and the topics, we ask God to help us as a church grow in whatever area of, of that book or topic we're, we're discussing. We pray for decisions that need to be made. We pray for people and member care issues. We pray for the children in this church, for those who are suffering with sickness and marriages and our missionaries. Your elders are praying for you because we believe God works mightily prayer. And then every week, in our service, our public prayer. We don't pray just so that we can have Philip five to eight minutes in a service, right? We read scripture because we believe it teaches us who God is. And then we pray for the church according to that because we believe God works in prayer. And even hopefully as we do pray the scriptures, that it, it models for the church how you can even pray scripture. So how do we do this? How do we exercise our oversight? How do we lead? It's through praying. We can also do that through teaching. Our teaching is meant to equip the church. Not so that the elders, we preach and we teach, and then we also do all the other ministry of the church. The preaching and teaching is that we might equip you, the body, to do the work of ministry. And so similar to a basketball coach, right? He watches film from other teams, he watches film from his team, and then he brings his team in the film room and says, this is what I'm seeing, these are the things from the other team that we can take advantage of, and these are the things that we need to sharpen up on. And then they go out to the court, and they practice the things that they talked about in the film room. He's, everything the coach is doing is to equip them, to get better at what they do, so that then when the game comes, he can unleash them, And say, do what you've been taught. Part of what the elders do is to equip the church by teaching you about our God. And about how we respond to him. And then in our joy and our love for him, we are unleashed. Not just you guys, but even the elders. We are unleashed throughout the week that we could do the work of ministry. Loving and serving one another. Proclaiming the gospel to our co-workers. And so the elders primarily practice our spiritual oversight, our leadership by praying and by teaching. We're not meant to be rulers, ones who dominate this church, who are domineering, but we're meant to be ones who lead, who practice oversight, which requires us to be godly men. And so elders, let's continue pursuing Christ. Let's be godly men who, through our lives, display Christ to this church. We're not perfect men, but we ought to be men who reflect the gospel in our lives, that we can lead our homes well. And it doesn't say you need to be old, although it does bring wisdom and is helpful. It says they must not be recent converts. And so we do have some young men being nominated for eldership. And I think it's worthy of considering them based on the qualifications of an elder. And yes, if they're older, perhaps they come with wisdom that only age can bring. But there's wisdom that God can give godly men as well, despite their age. So men, we need to be men of prayer. We need to be elders who teach God's Word rightly, and it doesn't mean just behind a pulpit like this. It means teaching Sunday school. It means discipling men one-on-one. When someone comes to you with a question about what to do in life, you can open the Scriptures and say, thus saith the Lord based on His Word. You can give godly counsel. You can explain the Gospel and apply it to lives. And so all of this is what the elder should look like and what the elders should do But each one of these uh, these, uh, groups of people, elders, deacons, and congregation, I want to close each section with showing how if each one of these are living out rightly what God has called us to, that it promotes unity. And so elders who are shepherding well, overseeing well, we can help promote unity in this church. And we do it by being qualified and and leading in such a way that that it's coming from our qualification. And so what I mean by that, let let me just give you an example, right? When you get sick, you don't go to a CPA, you don't go to a school teacher or a coach. When you get sick, you go to a doctor, and not just any doctor, not one with a PhD behind his name, but you go to one with a medical degree. You go to the one who's qualified in that field, They ask you about your symptoms. They ask you what's going on. And they can help diagnose you, prescribe medicine to help you. And so I think elders who are actually qualified for the role of spiritual oversight, it helps promote unity in the church. Because then the church sees them as trusted men. Men who are living what they teach. And so biblically qualified elders promote unity in the church. Promote a sense of confidence in who Uh, the church is following. So elders, let's be unity promoters, unity protectors in the way we lead this church. So elders are biblically qualified men who are servant leaders. But then what about deacons? Who are deacons and what's their role? So we said that elders are servant leaders Now, I just want to reverse that and say that deacons are leading servants. That is, deacons are primarily servants who lead in serving. And so, who are the deacons? Butch also read that for us, the the qualifications for a deacon in 1 Timothy 3. It was the last part of what he read, verses 8 through 13. And those qualifications for deacons are very similar to that of an elder, except there's two differences. One is the deacon is not uh, required to be able to teach. And then the second is that deacons can be women. And you might say, well, my translation doesn't say that. If you have the ESV, it says wives, as if it's referring to the wives of deacons. Um, other translations translate it differently. I think the NASB says women, referring to women deacons, and I think that's probably the better understanding And there's multiple reasons. I'll just give you two why I think that translation of women is better there. So if you remember from Butch reading verse 8, it said, deacons likewise. So verses 1 through 7 were qualifications for an elder. And then verse 8 starts with deacons likewise. It's a transition in who he's talking about. So he's transitioning from elders and their qualifications to now the qualifications for a deacon. So we see that transition there. But then in verse 11 also, it says, if you're reading the ESV, it says wives likewise. Or a different translation may say women likewise. So I think Paul's transitioning from men who are deacons to women who are deacons. With that likewise in there. But then also a second reason I think that this is referring to women as deacons is nowhere in the New Testament do you see... The wives of elders. Things being listed about wives of elders. So if we were to translate uh, this here as uh, wives likewise. Referring to the wives of deacons. You would have a description of the wives of deacons. But you would not be able to find anywhere else a description of wives of elders. And so I think this likewise shows a transition of, of who he's referring to. And also... It would make sense, I think, that he's actually describing women who are deacons instead of wives of deacons. So that the second difference, right? Well, the first difference in these qualifications is one that deacons aren't uh, required to be able to teach. And then the second is that deacons can be women. Elders, I think that's reserved for men. Deacons, deaconesses can be men and women who are serving the church. And so what do these deacons do? Looking back at Acts 6, they're ones who serve. They meet physical needs, right? The, the actual uh, Greek word for deacon is diakonos, which literally means servant. It's not leading. It's not ruling. It's not one who's got spiritual oversight, but it's deacons are servants, and they lead the church in serving. So the, the elders have this growing growing uh, conviction that we ought to be the ones, the elders ought to be the ones who have spiritual oversight, have what we call shepherding lists, where each shepherd or each elder has a group of, of members from this church that we have assigned to ourselves. So if you're in a community group with an elder, you're in that elder shepherding list. And then there's also members who aren't in community groups. And so we've taken those members and we've put them in shepherding lists for each of the elders. And so uh, an elder might have you on his shepherding list, even if you're not in a community group, because they know you well or their paths cross with you often. And so it just makes it easier to check in and have oversight over those families. But we have a growing conviction that that deacons, according even what we see in Acts 6, as deacons are ones who, who have this responsibility of serving the body, of, of, of taking care of practical needs of the body. And so deacons may use administrative gifts to lead a group of people who are tellers. Or there may be deacons who are, are gifted in, in leading in maintenance and facilities-type issues, and, and some who lead ushers. There may be deacons or deaconesses who oversee visitors and hospitality. There may be deacons and deaconesses who lead the church in caring for the physical needs of this body. And so, what is the goal in caring for these physical needs? Well, it's, it's unity. Deacons ought to be unifiers, ones who are building up the body to promote Unity. So, deacons aren't second rate officers in the church. So, sometimes you'll hear there's two offices in the church there's elder and there's deacon, or pastor and deacon. Deacons have a vital ministry in this church. If you're a deacon, you don't have a second rate role, right? Even just listen to the words of Uh, uh, of Acts 6-3, that the church should be looking for men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So a deacon may have a different role than an elder, but it's not a lesser role. It's a vitally important role. And it's an, an important role that promotes gospel work. Deacons fulfilling the needs, meeting needs of this body, promote unity. They help, care for all the members, right? Acts 6, just back to this passage again. There's disunity in the church. There's a section of the church that is being left out, that is being neglected by the, the distribution of food. And so it causes disunity in the church. Some people are being cared for well, other people aren't. And so what do the deacons do? They help meet needs. That the church is cared for well and that unity is restored here in Acts 6 in the church. And so deacons help promote unity by caring for the members of the church. Deacons also help promote unity by allowing, in this passage, the apostles or, or, or elder-like functions to take place. And so deacons serving in Hamilton Baptist Church free up the elders to be able to devote their time to prayer and to teaching. A church the size of Hamilton could not survive very long if the elders were the only ones preaching, praying, meeting needs. And so by God's grace, he's given the church deacons, men full of the spirit of good repute that serve this body, to build up this body, to promote unity within this body. And then also back to the leading servants. Elders fulfilling their job well or pulling in other people from this church to help serve the body. So elders promote unity by bringing this church together, not just the deacons themselves doing all the ministry, caring for needs, but bringing other people into those areas of service. That we might be able to one another each other, love one another, serve one another, die to self-sacrifice for one another. So elders promote unity in that way as well. And you see this probably... Uh, in mission teams, right? In a mission team, you go overseas and you intend, I'm going to go serve other people and I'm going to try to be a blessing to them and share the gospel with them. And what happens in that group? God, most of the time, does a pretty amazing work where even in the group that goes thinking, I'm going to be a blessing to others, they're greatly blessed because doing the work of God together, sharing the gospel, it draws them together. It knits their heart with the people they're there on that mission trip with. And so as L, as as deacons bring other people into the fold. And serving. And meeting the needs of other people in this church. They're doing it to be a blessing to those who are being served. But it also helps us grow in unity as we serve. Those who are actively serving are united. In what they're doing together. And so just by... A way of application, if you're a member at Hamilton Baptist Church, I want to ask you, are you actively deaconing? Are you actively serving this body? Every one of us of Hamilton Baptist Church are called to love and to serve. And you might even be able to think about it with a a family illustration, right? If my family invites you over for dinner, or invites our neighbor over for dinner, I'm not going to ask my neighbor to cook dinner I'm not going to ask my neighbor to set the table. I'm not going to ask my my neighbor when we're done to clean the table and clean the dishes. They're my guest. My family does that. My family is going to serve those who are our guests that night. We're going to set the table. My wifes you don't want me cooking the meal. My wife's probably going to cook the meal. I can chop a few things up, but that's the extent of what I can do, really. And then I'll eagerly get up and clean the dishes. But it's not my guests who are going to come. and and do the work in my house. My guests aren't going to be invited to serve me in my house. And so we as Hamilton Baptist Church, the members of this church, we need to be stepping up and serving this body. Stepping up to serve one another and those who visit us. And then even as these leading servants, which we usually call deacons, when a deacon asks you to serve do it with joy and if it's an area that you feel like well i'm not really gifted okay it's fine i get that you want to serve in areas that you feel like god's gifted you so then gently say i don't know that i'm really gifted in that way but i think god's gifted me in these ways and where can i go to serve our body with these gifts serve the church so as elders we are called to lead deacons are called to primarily serve, all in God-honoring ways that brings about unity in this church that the gospel might abound. But then, what about the congregation? What about the rest of this church that's not an elder or, or a deacon? Just like I've done with the other two categories of people, first, who is the congregation? Who is the church? Well, it's anyone, male, female, who has professed faith, in Christ, and as a baptized believer in Christ, Acts two uh, two forty one even says, "So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls." So who is the church? People who have professed Christ and been baptized in Him. So then, what, what does the congregation do? Or you might even ask it a different way. So if the elders are ones who lead. They're servant leaders, and if the deacons are ones who are leading servants, well, what does that look like for the church? You might even ask, well, what authority does the church have? I would would say simply two main categories. One, the church is to rule. And then two, which might seem contrary, but the church is to submit. So the church is to to rule. That is, the church ought to be uh, concerned about its purity. That is who should be members of Hamilton Baptist Church. And then also related to that purity is discipline. We're not going to dive into that a lot today. We'll do more of that next week. We'll look at Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. But the church is responsible for her purity. The church rules in another way by protecting its doctrine. Paul in Galatians 1, 6, 8 says, I'm astonished that you... And if you look at it, he's not, ask, he's not addressing the elders in this passage in Galatians 1. He's addressing the church. He says, I'm astonished that you, the church in Galatia, are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So Paul is saying, church, you are primarily the ones responsible for what's preached, for the doctrine that you hold to, that describes your life. You are the ones who are to rule by protecting the doctrine. Yes, elders, preachers, pastors are responsible for what they teach too. But the church At least according to Paul in Galatians 1, the church is the one ultimately responsible for that. And even as I challenged you last week, you should be listening to the word that's preached here every Sunday and in your Sunday school classes and evaluate it based on God's word. Is it coming from his word? Is is what's being preached here highlighting Christ? And just so that I'm not preaching something today that could be preached in a synagogue or somewhere else, I want to tell you the gospel again. That it would endear your heart to what's been done for you. Or if you don't know Christ, that then today you could at least know you've heard the gospel. So the gospel that you should hear preached week in and week out is that God has created you in his image. And in the beginning, he tells us, gives the creation mandate... To go and make disciples. That is, be fruitful and multiply. The implication is fill the earth with worshipers of God. And you know Adam and Eve sinned. And that is passed down to us. We in fact sin. We rebel against God. And because of that we deserve separation from him. For all eternity. Because he's perfect. Because he's holy. But yet God doesn't turn His back on. loved us by sending Christ to die for you and I. That's how the church is formed. It's only through the death and resurrection of Christ that we even exist. And so that's what you should hear preached week in and week out is God's truth in the gospel and that we're applying that to every part of our life. That is what you church must protect. So the church, it exercises its authority by ruling, by protecting its purity, by protecting its doctrine. And then the one that may seem a little off or a little backwards is that the church also is to submit. The church exercises its authority by submitting. If you read it, Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this not uh, let them do this with joy not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you so the church is called to protect its purity that is who belongs to the church the church is called to protect its doctrine that is what we confess what we believe what we live by but then the church is also called to submit and you might be thinking well Josh that's really easy for you to say right you're the one That's one of the elders. So it might seem self-serving, but I'm just trying to stick with what I believe the Bible teaches. And so that also means me as a member. I'm supposed to submit to my fellow elders. The body is supposed to submit to the elders, their leaders. And why? It's not because the leaders get to rule however they want. It actually says in that uh, verse 13, 17 in Hebrews... For they, referring to the the leaders, are keeping watch over your souls and they have to give an account to God. So the elders are supposed to be ones who lead the church, not according to their ways, but according to God's ways. And so hopefully that makes it easier as a member to submit. And so I, I don't have a specific example of people who are or are not submitting well. So please don't think like this is coming because I've, I've got an agenda. I'm just trying to be faithful to the word here. So then we should also ask the question, as we've done with the other two categories of people, what's the goal in the congregations exercising its authority? It's to promote unity. The congregation promotes unity by protecting the purity of its witness. Right when, when it's apparent, or, or when there's apparent and obvious sin in our midst, it should cause division. We shouldn't tolerate sin. We should lovingly go to a brother and help him, help her. And if you know of parents neglecting kids, you ought to step in and help. If you know of someone neglecting the leadership of God in their lives, you should confront them lovingly, help them. Follow Jesus. The purity of this church affects the purity of our witness, or the believability of our witness before a looking world. But then also, the congregation can promote unity by protecting the purity of the gospel, which I spoke about a second ago, right? The gospel is what we are centered under. The the, the doctrine of this church is what unites us. It's what keeps us walking together in Christ. And so if we don't maintain that, we will be prone to to fracturing, to splintering. And the church has that primary responsibility of promoting unity by guarding the gospel. I know of no case in all of church history where the church strayed and then they pulled the leadership along. Every time I've ever heard of a church straying from being faithful to Christ and the scriptures, it always started with the theologians, the professors in seminaries, the pastors, the leaders led the church astray. The truth was compromised a little bit at a time and then the church was led astray by the ones who were supposed to be leading them to Jesus. And so you, the church, you must guard the purity of the gospel that we would stay united as a church. So when a, gospel, uh, when a congregation, when a church uses its authority rightly by ruling and submitting, it holds high Christ. It holds the gospel on full display for the world to see. Right? A, a, a bickering church doesn't commend Christ to the world. In fact, Jesus says in John 13 that they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so if we want Christ to be held high for this world to see, let's be a church filled with love, a church that continues to walk in unity. And I I, I truly believe it's God's grace that has maintained unity, and it will only be by God's grace that we maintain unity going forward. And so I pray that God would keep us unified as a church. And listen to these final words from Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Right As we've seen, uh, authority exercised rightly by the church, by appointing deacons, and then the deacons serving, and then the apostles devoting themselves to prayer and teaching. Here's the result of what happens. Listen to Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So what's the result of God's people living according to God's ways, even even talking about the polity, the church government, the elders, deacons, and the church all working together? It's that the word of God would abound. That the gospel would be made known. And so do you, Hamilton Baptist Church, want God to increase here in Northern Virginia? Do you want the word of God to increase Throughout the world, through this church, do you want the number of disciples to multiply? Let's be the church. Let's live according to God's ways. Let's love one another. Let's serve one another. Do this all with God-given responsibilities, in God-honoring ways, that we might make much of Him. That the word would increase. That the lost would come to faith. Let's be the church. Let's pray now. Father, we come to you, and we thank you that you have given us your word, that we would know you. And even as we consider uh, more over the coming weeks, and and even today, about who you are and, and what you've called us to be as a people, would you help us with? Would you help the elders and future elders of this church to be servant leaders, not domineering, but ones who oversee with love and tenderness that we would shepherd your flock in your ways. And would you help the deacons to be men of good repute, filled with the Spirit, and that they would be leading servants, servants who lead this church in serving the body. And would you help us as a church Help us to be a people who rule rightly this local body that we would protect its purity that we would protect its doctrine and that we would submit rightly to one another that we might be a church who displays christ to the world that the word of god would increase in us and through us that disciples would multiply that you would Uh, even as our children are raised in this church, that they would see a, a, a church that loves one another, a church that's unified, and that it would be so compelling to them that this group of 350 people can actually get along together and love one another and not use words that hurt and tear each other down. That they would see moms and dads and friends that are speaking well of their brothers and sisters in the faith, and that we would be a church that is unified, And that Christ would be held high. We want this. Would you do this in your people? Hamilton Baptist Church. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.